Our mission is to dust off a 2,000 year old letter to, to see if it could have some relevance for our modern world. In the Bible, it's the book of Romans. It was Paul's letter to the Roman church. And to determine its relevance, we need, we need to place the letter in context and to find out what the Roman church was like and what they were dealing with. What was Rome like in that day? What were the people like in AD 57 when Paul wrote this letter to them? How did the everyday Roman view life? And this, this could help us see what Paul was actually writing about in his letter. And so to discover the everyday Roman 2,000 years ago, I hit the streets. And I went to see Rome today and to see what the common people were doing and to see if I could find a thread, something that would trace us back to the past. It involved uh, all kinds of fun adventures, ice cream, gelato, a trip to the Trevi Fountain, pizza, of course, a lot of selfies, some small talk with the locals, all the kind of stuff that you would do on an ordinary day. And eventually, discovered one of the best preserved buildings in all of Rome, one that goes all the way back to biblical times, the Pantheon. The Pantheon being, uh, sh uh, the word Pantheon meaning for all the gods. And this, this particular building, so well preserved, really an architectural marvel today, that's been copied many, many times over, even by Thomas Jefferson. It was commissioned to be built three or 30 years before Christ by Marcus Agrippa. He was the right-hand man, the general uh, for the emperor. And the facade still remains to this day. It was rebuilt after a fire. But why would a Roman general and the, the son-in-law and the, the right-hand man to the emperor build this building? What, is, what does it say about Rome at that time? Um, he was a powerful man. And it seems like his, some historians believe that this was his own private, if you would, shrine, his own personal place of worship. And it was filled with Roman gods. You see, the Roman people in that day, they were very, very religious. And religion was a big part of, of their daily lives. They all had their own little deities and routines and rituals that they offered sacrifices to in their own home. And the idea was to keep the gods happy. One particular interesting note about the Roman religion was that they, they had a particular belief in fate. There were three gods or sisters that were goddesses and they all had a, a role to play. It was like one would weave the thread uh, of the of a, a wool of a person's life. The other one, the other sister would stretch it out and the third sister would cut it off. And this was a common belief by the Roman people. And fate was something that you just couldn't mess with. Even the top gods couldn't alter someone's fate. And that's what got me thinking about Paul's letter, especially when you get to Romans chapter eight, when Paul talks about purpose and hope. 
and God working all things for good. It's as if Paul's introducing a new kind of God, a God that's not subject to fate, but a God that alters our destiny, a God that's in control, and a God that no matter what fate or circumstances throws at a person, a God that can overpower it and that can work it for our good. Paul had had a lot of suffering in his life, and he needed this to work for his own life. He needed to believe this. You can see in one of his other letters, Paul talks about his suffering, that's the stuff that he went through personally. And in 2 Corinthians, he writes about it. He says, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again, five times. I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers and in danger from bandits. In danger in the city and in danger in the country and at sea. And from false believers, other people attacking him. Paul had gone through so much, gone without sleep, he said, gone without the food, gone, been cold and naked. And then the pressure, the daily pressure I had for all the churches that he had started. So Paul felt unbelievable pressure, unbelievable, went through unreal suffering. And so the idea that God could intervene and could work things out for the greater good was a key idea for Paul, not just something they were sharing with another church. Oh, wow. When you see those uh, things Paul went through, it kind of gives you a new context for suffering. I don't know about you, but I have my own little miniature suffering. Anybody? And, uh, you know, I complain about it all the time and whine about it. But to watch, you know, in some small way visually what Paul went through, um, it, it sort of opens our eyes. And Paul is the one that's writing uh, in Romans 8, he says, I, I consider our present suffering so small compared to the good that is coming. So Paul somehow had a vision or a glimpse of the good that was coming. He called it the glory, that the stuff I'm going through is not even worth comparing. So whatever you're going through today, um, take, take heart to know that God has something beyond what you can think or hope or imagine that's yet to come. And um, before, we, before we get there, um, I wanted to, to introduce one more idea that was connected to this Roman idea of fate. Um, and the Romans, what they did is they, they would conquer another land, and then when they conquered them, they would just adopt their gods. So whatever gods you have, we'll just take them. And they just added to their collection. That way they didn't have fighting. I mean, like strategically, as far as a, a strategy to take over the world, it was brilliant. We don't need to throw your gods away because people were very attached to them. They just added them in. And the Romans just sort of kept accumulating all of these gods. And they accumulated a lot of the, the, the traditions and the way people fought and, and lived at the same time. 
Long as you stayed in line and paid your taxes, you were good. So um, there were all of these practices and um, tied to fate. Um, by the way, our editor-in-chief um, just told me, as you were watching, did you see in the video, the three sisters? Um, the one named Clotho, where we get the word Clotho, right? Would spin, would spin. This is your life. And this is what they believed. She was spinning your life. The other one would stretch it out. A lotto, a lotto, an allotment or your lot in life. The other one would stretch it out. And the third one would cut it off. And that's just what they believed. Someone spun your life, the good stuff and the bad stuff, and it was just all there. It was sort of predetermined. <clears throat> Someone stretched it out. They decided, here's how long this person gets to live. Wham, the third sister. Um, so our editor-in-chief just <clears throat> reminded me, and you could look this up later, <clears throat> the cartoon version of them, uh, they, were, they were looking pretty, like, glam. Uh, <clears throat> the reality is... <clears throat> And you can find these images online as well. Those three sisters were stern and ugly. <clears throat> they were. That's just how they were portrayed. They weren't the kind of glamour girls. They were like, and, and what they believed is even Zeus <clears throat> could not alter. So in a way, they had ultimate power. They just decided this is how long you're going to live. This is it. And so people believed in this sort of thing along with this practice, you see in the Bible, what the Bible calls casting lots. Um, we don't exactly know what casting lots means, but it, it could be like dice, like rolling the dice. Um, some people have likened it to drawing straws. Anybody ever do that? Draw straws, um, flip of a coin. Whatever it is, it's some sort of chance that, that puts... The, the winner of the chance has belief that this was God's decision. Uh, you, you can see this in the story of Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? Um, he gets on the ship. He's going the wrong direction. There's a big storm. And the, the guys get on deck and they go, hey, hey, who screwed up here? The, the ship's going to drown. And the, what do they do? It says they cast lots. They got to decide. When the children of Israel, when they go in and they take the promised land, they divide the land up and they cast lots. You get to live here, you get to live here, you get to live here. As late as the, the crucifixion of Jesus, the Roman soldiers, remember, they, while he's being undressed, they cast lots to see who gets to take his clothes. Even after... Um, Jesus is crucified. If you read in the, oh, you could tell. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, even after Jesus is crucified, in the book of Acts, we read they have to replace uh, Judas because Judas had betrayed and then he had committed suicide. So they're short uh, a disciple. And they, it says in Acts chapter 1, they cast lots. That kind of seems strange. This belief was strongly held that somehow your life was a lot of chance, a lot of fate. Along comes Paul writing about this good news. I mean, think of the despair if 
you just think, well, the dice just didn't roll. They just didn't fall good for me. Along comes Paul, and he starts to say things like this, Romans 8, 28. In all things, God is at work, or God is working for the good of those who love him and have been called to his purpose. In other words, God always has a purpose. Now, here's Chris's personal belief. You can do with this whatever you want. All right, take part of it, stick it in your bag, throw it all out, whatever. Because I'll tell you, it's my belief. I, I think I have some backing. But I, when people say God has a plan for your life, I, I use it as a lowercase p plan. In other words, I don't know that God has every single detail of your life worked out. And like, if you decide to turn left out of the church and go to Tim Horton's, God bless you, all right? Or you could turn right and go somewhere else. I mean, you, I think you can decide. I think you and I have a lot of free will. But what, how I think it works is in all the things. So there's, well, you could have turned left, but you turned right. Well, you could have chose this college, but you chose that college. Well, you could have went to college or not college. You could have took this job or that job. You could have married this person or that person. You made mistakes, they made mistakes. The person that ran into you made a mistake. All life is full because what God does is he takes all of this and he somehow weaves it. He somehow works it and somehow makes something for us that is good. That takes a lot of creativity. Any of you, uh, we had a, some cool cars yesterday at the Trunk or Treat. And uh, I think uh, any, any like car people here, like you love cool cars? One of the, I was watching a show a while back, and it was about the car culture in Cuba. In Cuba. Now, in Cuba, you can't just go you know, onto Amazon and, and order a new part for whatever car you have. Most of the cars are from the 50s. And so what they do, they have this unbelievable creativity and ingenuity. They can take and they re, actually remake a part. We order a part. Right, And we go and we look at a catalog and they find it and they ship it to us and it's the part that fits the exact... They have to make it. They take some kind of metal or some kind of uh, material and, and make it. What does God do with the raw material of the mess of your life? What does God do with the mistakes that you've made? Go over here. The mistakes that you've made... Right? And the mistakes that it, I'll give you guys one more chance have been made to you, right? And what do you do with them? Oh, well, this is, this, is a, this is a disaster. We can't do anything with this. Or you just ascribe it to fate and say, well, that's just the way it is. Or, or, or there's the creative God. So you'd, you'd marvel at it. The show would show you these, these guys, what they could craft out of almost nothing. You would, your mind is blown, right? They make little gaskets out of uh, tires that have been blown out, and they save the rubber, and on and on. What does God do? He takes your blown-out tire. He takes your bad Tuesday. He takes 1984, some of you, 2012, whatever your year was, everything went bad. And he works it, and he weaves it, and he makes something good out of it. Now, at the time, there's no way. You're thinking, there's no way, God. There, trust me, there is no way you could use this mess. That's how we feel. 
And when you're going through it, it's understandable. That's how you feel. It doesn't, but what that does is it shorts God into these type of gods. And so what Paul writes about is, I'm trying to introduce you to a completely different kind of God. A God that can work anything out. Anything. The most unthinkable, the most unbelievable You see, Paul had to believe this himself because of all the stuff that he went through, and yet he could keep going. And Paul went on to write some of the most unbelievable things. And uh, I was reading uh, a particular author, and he said, you know, if you were stranded on a desert island and you could only have one chapter in the entire Bible, he said, I would take Romans chapter 8. I started reading it over and over this week, and I thought, man, that's exactly right. Paul says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then Paul likens it to a a woman giving birth, the unbelievable pain and the agony of a woman in labor. And he says it's comparing that to the baby. Now, I cannot speak of these things, right? <laughs> Paul wrote about them, but I can, I, I can witness from afar. But I think if you went around and talked to the, any lady that's ever given birth, they would, they would describe to a T an unbelievable time of pain, pain they never want to experience again, pain they never, never wish on any other human being. And yet, and yet, pain they would go through again for the glory of that baby being born. In other words, God is working. God's always working in our pain, in our suffering, in our problems, in our trials. God is always working. One of the concepts that Paul's introducing that was completely foreign to them was a relational God. These, these three sisters were, were cold and they were detached and they were just cutting it off. As the, and there was no interaction. There was no... Um, There was no relationship. And the idea that a God would love us, love us so much that he would give to us, was a completely new idea. So Paul says this, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, or demons, no power, nothing in all of God's creation will separate us from the love of God. Think about it. There's nothing that's happened in your life that will ever separate you from God's love, from God's purpose in your life. I said, Chris, but I mean, I made a couple of really big mistakes you know, we, we kind of feel like we have like disqualifying level mistakes. But that's not true. This is the gospel, Paul, Paul writes, of hope. And over and over and over, he uses the word hope. There's hope, there's hope, there's hope. If you've ever um, been in a situation where you've made a mistake 
or you got yourself in a situation because things other people did or it was some combination thereof and you, you've been in the, the dark place, we'll call it. You have to hold on to these, these two things. First of all, God is unbelievably creative in what he can do. And the longer you live, the more you start to see how creative God can be, how God could take something that you think there's no way something good could come out of this. And God somehow does. The other thing you want to remember is this. The thing that you think is good might not be your ultimate good. That's to remember. God, th- God works all things together for good. And you're like, oh, this ain't good. Like, trust me, this ain't good. There's a lot of things that like a three and a half year old girl thinks are good for her. Do you know what I mean? And it takes all the convincing power in the world. No, that's not good. Case in point today, right? Yesterday, I took her to the store because she didn't have any like shoes for her little costume. So we went and got some shoes at the store. And we had to get the shoes that she picked out are white princess sparkly shoes. She loves these shoes, so she wore them yesterday with her costume. She's very excited to wear them today, and so she put them on. And then when I turned my back, over top of the white sparkly shoes, she found some plastic red shoes and put them on on top of the other ones. Honey, you have two pairs of shoes on. We need to take one of them off. No, 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 no. They're beautiful, Dad. They're beautiful. It's like the white sparkly was glowing through the red. But you can't wear two pairs of shoes in one day, these costume shoes over top. And no matter how hard I tried to tell her that that wasn't cool, it didn't look good, this is, in her mind, it's what? This is good. This is beautiful, right? Anybody here ever think something was beautiful when you were 20? And then you turn 40, and you're like, "Mm." Anybody ever look at your outfit from the 80s? Anybody, anybody ever look at your hair? Anybody ever, anybody ever look at your boyfriend? In other words, things change. Do they change? What you think. I mean, if you go like, oh, I just got to have this. Oh, I got to have this. Anybody? Anybody ever pay way too much money for something that you just had to have? Because it's good. Oh, I got to have this. And you have to mature. You just have to mature. You just have to get to a different age and realize, oh, I don't think that, that's so wonderful. But you're, you're like, but yeah, now I know. But now I know. Now I'm an adult. Or, or as Paul said, 1 Corinthians 13, right now we think like children and we reason like children. Right now we still got our red shoes and our sparkly shoes. Right now we still don't have it all figured out. That's, that's hard to conceive because at every level of life we think we know it all. Right? At three, they think they know it all. And then at 13, they even know more. And when they're 18, they know everything, right? And every stage we think we know. But what we have to understand is there's still so much that we don't know. You know, one of the amazing things about science right now is they're discovering just like this how little we know about our universe. Most of the universe is dark matter. And then you ask them, what is dark matter? And they go, I don't know. Most of the entire universe is called dark matter and we don't know what it is. In other words, we don't know anything about anything. Yes, that's the scientific answer. Can I say that's also the faith answer? How much more about your future do we not yet know? 
In Scripture, it says this way, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We'll close with this one. Um, Not only is your good different from God's good, but your time is different from God's time. Isn't this true? Now, when do you want your suffering to end and God to give you an email with a thorough explanation as to why you went through it? That's kind of how our prayers go. If you can just... If you can just outline for me how exactly this benefited me. When do we want that answer? We'll, we'll take it by Sunday night. In other words, it's now. Our timetable's now. This is why I want it fixed and how I want it fixed. And I want it fixed now. Yesterday, I was, I was telling you, it was trunk or treat. Charlie, we had told her it was coming, and so I don't know why. God knows only why we told her it was coming, but we did. And so the day before, tomorrow's trunk or treat. Maybe we were trying to bribe her for something. I don't know. But she woke up at 7 o'clock in the morning, and she gets out of her bed. She goes, Dad, it's trunk or treat. I said, yeah, it is. But it's at 2 o'clock. Do you know what 2 o'clock is? Dad, can I get my costume on? Can I get my costume on? So from the from the bed over to the closet at 7 o'clock in the morning, we get the what? The costume on because I'm a bad dad. I don't know how to say, I don't know how to do anything, right? But I'm just navigating. But here's the thing about a three-year-old. The timetable is right. It's now. Now. And here's the thing about a 30-year-old. The timetable is right now. We're driving up to Trunk or Treat. I won't say there were two adults in our car with Charlie. I won't say which adult, but one adult got frustrated with another person driving and said, move it. (laughs) And Charlie from the back said, be patient, mom. (laughs) Be patient, mom. Just be patient. She just likes to throw the word out. She has no clue what it means. No clue. Be patient. Here you go. Just be patient. Oh, it's the hardest thing to say to anybody. It really is. Just be patient, though. God's working. God's always working. And I don't know what God's up to. I know sometimes, not always, I know sometimes God needs to fix us during the middle of these things. You know? He does. He has to change some stuff in us. Sometimes that's what, and, and it's all part of it, but somehow in God's unbelievable cre- creative way, he works things out for our good. We had books this morning during breakfast, so we're reading books. And uh, first time we go through this, it was a bug book. There's the ladybug, and there's the caterpillar, and there's the butterfly, there's the ant. And then we got to the, towards the end, and there was a walking stick. Charlie had never seen a walking stick before. So I had to explain to her what a walking, what, like I know. But I explained to her, well, it looks like a stick and it walks and it's a bug. That's, that's as much as I know. But I gave her the thorough explanation, right? But, you know, it's just, you get stuck again like the creativity of God. The creativity. Don't despair, my friend. When you're going through something difficult, just don't despair. Because in some way, I don't know how God can take anything and make something meaningful out of it. A walking stick. The mess of our life, the frustration, the problem, the failure, the mistake. God works 
all things together for our, what? For our good. Let's stand. We'll have a closing prayer.